This is Misinfo Weekly, a somewhat weekly program about misinformation in our time. Misinfo Weekly is made by the Unit for Data Science and Analytics at Arizona State University Library. Hello and welcome. It is January 5th, 2022, and this is the first episode of season three of Misinfo Weekly. And today we're actually together in the same studio, Sean. Yeah, it's weird to see your face not on a camera. So today we want to talk through a report by the New America Foundation, a report to which Sean and I both contributed as part of a really a fantastic team in, in putting out a report on Parler and the role of alt tech in the January 6th insurrection. The official title of it is Parler and the Road to the Capital Attack. Subtitle, Investigating Alt-Tech Ties to January 6th. Lead author is Candice Rundo, and you can find it on the New America website online. And it's actually a pretty lengthy report and has a lot of different sections. There's a kind of TLDR section, and then there's some in-depth bits as well, complete with a ton of data analysis and summary. And you'll also find a link in the podcast notes. Yeah, we can definitely link that in the show notes. But we want to we want to talk about Parler again today, not just because this report came out today on the eve of, of the anniversary of January 6th. But we also want to check in on Parler, so to speak, because we did do an episode on Parler. During our first season, our first sure, year. During our first year, back in 20, geez, back in 2020. In the summer of 2020, we did an episode on when it was just a, a wee baby emerging platform. Versus now it's had a couple uh, evolutions, deplatformed and is still actually going pretty strong, even though... Most folks are talking about the first iteration of Parler, which is what we'll focus mostly on today, right? Yeah, well, let's 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 do a quick timeline on Parler, I guess, and uh, like pretty rough. I want to say when we were talking about Parler in summer of 2020, that's when Parler, and and that was kind of our conversation, was trying to get a sense of uh, what was going on with Parler because it was starting to gain some legitimacy because information was passing from Parler to kind of more legitimate news sources, and people were starting to recognize Parler more and more. Yeah, so Parler actually started in 2018, and pretty much from around the first year that the platform was in existence to kind of mid-2019, it was uh, not that impressive or not that important, not that active, let's say that. A, pr- a pretty quiet place. Yes. And then basically around the summer of 2020, then... Well, you got a lot more people joining. And again, you know, why we were podcasting about it in the first place was it seemed to be getting attention and legitimacy. So that was kind of the first really big punctuation mark, I think, in the history of the platform, notwithstanding like the origin of the platform or, or any of those kinds of things. But it, it first caught our attention for those reasons. And that was that was summer 2020. If I could, I, the, I think the next event, Sean, it's got to be the fall of 2020, right? Around November. Yes. So, but I guess if we rewind back, the reason why the platform grew was because basically Facebook and Twitter, Twitter especially, stepped up their content moderation activities. Yeah. And so they were starting to remove misinformation surrounding the election. And so there was this sort of mass exodus moving towards end of spring and beginning of summer of 2020, where the platform really started to take hold as this sort of like free speech platform for conservatives. And there was this myth that social media platforms were suppressing content and suppressing free speech of conservatives. Yeah. And I think we're going to, that's a good theme to highlight now that throughout all of the major kind of history points in, that we're going to talk about today, which is kind of summer 2020, November 2020, and then January 2021, 
throughout each of those three points in Parler's history. This idea that Parler is like the last bastion or one of the last bastions where people can say stuff without being oppressed by alt tech or by big tech, I'm sorry, that's going to be enduring. And so to take a quick side angle here, what's big tech versus alt tech? What does this alt tech term mean? Yeah, so this is this actually, uh, the our New America colleagues introduced this term to me. I, I love this term, alt tech. The idea of recognizing Facebook, Twitter as, as big tech, Google, Microsoft, these are big establishment technology companies, and alt tech, which is less moderation, less, well, on the surface, less corporate interest, less alignment with the political left, so on and so forth. So they're kind of the small players in the room, but the small players that cater to uh, folks with potentially views that might not be welcome on some of the other platforms, or they might not feel that they are welcome on other platforms. Sure. Well, I, I think it's important that you know the, where the money comes from for a lot of these different platforms is kind of mysterious. So it's unclear if they're big money or not in many cases. It's certainly important for all tech to appear to be small money. Um or not really, you know, profiting off the kind of social activity that the so-called mainstream tech does. But like I said, I, I think that's an important image to maintain for these things. But that, that's what we mean uh, when we refer to this idea of alt tech. And in the in the article uh, that we mentioned at the top of the podcast, that that term comes up a lot too. And there's also this idea that conservative voices, I mean, kind of quote unquote conservative voices, sure. especially I would argue extremist conservative voices, were saying that they were being overly moderated and suppressed on big tech platforms, or I would argue these are kind of more the mainstream platforms that everyone sees on a day-to-day basis, like Facebook and Twitter, uh, Instagram, WhatsApp, those places. There was a claim that these conservative voices were being suppressed. Right, right. Was that true? Uh, So this narrative that conservative voices, especially on the far right were being suppressed by social media platforms. More mainstream platforms like Twitter and Facebook and such were unfairly censoring them versus non-conservative voices. Is is there any evidence to that? I don't think the research backs that up. Okay. So we have this sort of myth that these voices are being suppressed and that myth is part of the movement that caused the movement or, or exodus, like immigration to parlor. Sure, sure. And he, here's what we have, right? We have these three checkpoints that we want to talk about today in in Parler's history, and notice that like we're kind of kind of carving out the Middle Ages for Parler. We've got the kind of early times in, back in 2018, leading up to 2020. Then we got the Middle Ages of Parler, which is really that summer when you get this exodus and people are starting to really cultivate this myth that they're being oppressed and that Parler is one of their last best. And then after January 6th, you know, Parler gets uh, really deplatformed by Amazon Web Services. And they get picked up again. I think they get kicked around a couple different hosts, and then finally they get picked up again. And Parler's back. We're not going to talk about the kind of post January 2021 Parler, right? Those are those are those. That is a different time period in the history of the platform. We're not going to cover that today. We can talk about that in a different podcast. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on there now. But for today, we're going to be talking about those the Middle Ages of Parler. We're going to be talking about that that the meat of 2020, and then leading up until January 2021 some of the characteristics that that we've seen on the platform and that you can find written in the in the in the article as well and then you know also some 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 really like like salient themes that we think endure and are important paying attention to 
And so just to kind of put a bookend at the uh, of Parler 1.0 that we're talking about, they were deplatformed by Amazon Web Services on January 9th, 2021. So that's when they kind of ceased to exist because all of their infrastructure, so their code, everything ran on Amazon servers on their Amazon Web Services space, and Amazon shut that off on January 9th. And so Parler just blipped, disappeared from the web, except for data that was extracted, and we'll talk about that. But then in a later date, we'll talk more about how Parler moved to a new home and what Parler has become today. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about some of our insights about the, the platform based on our study of, the, of, of some of the data of Parler. And that is also reflected in the report that, we, that we've mentioned previously. But let's talk about the data first, about how we actually got to be able to study Parler in the way that we did. So the problem here is that, as we said, on January 9th, Amazon turned the lights off for Parler. And so when they flipped the switch, Parler's data disappeared. So if Parler disappeared as a platform, how do we have any information about it? Right. Well, we got a huge amount of response when that was deplatform, right? Because that just shored up everyone's idea that they were that their backs were against the wall because Amazon is another big tech company. And so this was just more grist for the mill for people who were thinking that, you know, they were being oppressed by these technology companies. But Parler itself, right, before the lights went out, before all this stuff happened on January 9th, ended up getting kind of archived by a couple different parties and then picked apart really by hackers. Well, and the deplatforming of Parler wasn't an event that happened just at one moment in time. There was a sort of sustained, so after January 6th, Parler used a number of vendors for their service. So vendors that would might check security or some users might have validated or verified themselves via uploading their driver's license or other data. So as Parler's reputation or connection with January 6th was solidified in those couple of days after the insurrection on the Capitol, these companies abandoned Parler. So there were these huge security holes in Parler's infrastructure that allowed uh, different hackers and different organizations to go in and grab data in ways that they potentially couldn't before. And in general, it should just be known that Parler wasn't a very secure service to begin with. It was right. seems like it was obviously made by folks that didn't have a lot of experience writing these types of platforms or working on security. And so as these companies abandoned Parler and uh, terminated their relationship, it was much easier it became easier and easier to collect data until January 9th, Amazon turned off the switch. Yeah. Yeah. And so I mean there's a couple of reasons for that, right? One is the way that Parler is put together where nothing about Parler as a platform resists very well somebody trying to just gobble up all the data that's presented on the web right if you try to do that on twitter just the vast amount of information there is going to is going to keep you from doing that but then you know there's some other things that are going to really be difficult for you to just gobble up all of twitter volume is also important here right there's a reason why if you have access to all of the tweets yeah, as a researcher they call it the fire because it's more information than you know than you can really handle uh Parler doesn't have that volume issue, right? It's actually a small enough platform in terms of the total population of posts where somebody could actually just download a bunch of posts and put it in a zip archive and post it somewhere. I mean, we're still talking multi-terabytes of data, yep. but with you know Twitter, we're talking hundreds of millions of posts per day. With with Parler, we're not. We're talking in the you know single millions, if that, every day. So the data that we have access to, one came from a, a group at NYU, and that we're tracking Parler 
the data that we have came from a group at NYU where they posted it publicly on a, a data archiving site called Zenodo. Mm-hmm. And that data uh, was part of a project where they were basically tracking Parler and trying to describe the platform over a year plus long period. So they came into the platform before it became popular and basically had this store of data that they were tracking all along. A second piece of data we have was collected by a colleague in our group that focused on about 108 influencers in President Trump's orbit and their parlor activities. So we had these two chunks of data, as well as a whole cache of data from the different hackers, researchers, or members of Reddit had created of videos, images, posts, web scrapes. So it's kind of this... It's like a casserole. Cache you know? of found data. Yeah. yeah, We picked up a lot of stuff off the floor. Yeah, a lot of stuff. But I think it's it's important at, at this point to, to also mention that, you know, even, even though it sounds like, hey, a research group was tracking them longitudinally for a number of years or all of these really smart hackers uh, or, or people who are kind of savvy to web technologies were trying to archive and collect this information or you know, David Troy, one of our collaborators who is who also does this kind of work, right? And is, is really smart about web data. It may sound like we've got an authoritative collection on Parler, but it's important to keep in mind that we it's not 100% complete, right? There's no way for us to verify if it is a 100% exhaustive representation of the platform, right? Even though it's somewhere, you know, close to 200 million posts, I think. This is not, this isn't all of Parler 100% guaranteed, right? But this is, yes, and this is a, this is a common theme that we've discussed before in podcast. But this is a common theme that we've discussed in, in our episodes before. Like Complete exhaustive data is not possible in many of these cases, either because we can't collect it, because it's been deleted, or even because it's we don't know all of the words that someone might have used to describe something. So we might be looking for COVID data, and some people might call it COVID, some people might call it coronavirus, some people might call it something else, collecting all Everything is kind of an impossibility. So, yep. um, but we have a sort of nice size sample to be able to describe some of the activities happening on Parler. But this doesn't include absolutely one hundred and fifty percent of everything. Yeah, and I think there's there's kind of two two main things I think that that we'll go over today in terms of our observations of the data that we have. One is, is it surrounds the kinds of links that got shared on Parler over time. And the other one is kind of the overall themes that tended to pop up in the platform. And so doing a link analysis to be able to understand what domains were being shared out on these parlor posts. And the other one is doing a text analysis to try to understand what ideas people were really talking about uh, when they were engaging with one another on parlor. And we're also going to look at this via sort of different groups. So one might be general users on Parler, another might be members of Congress that are on Parler, another group might be these influencers within the, the you know Trump's orbit. So they might be doing different things, or well, not they might. We know that they are doing different things at different moments in time. Yeah, yeah. Well, how should we begin then? I, you know, again, we're we're kind of looking at how the platform. How there really were some interesting in, like inflection points in the platform and that there were some interesting changes, right? I think really big picture, the Stop the Steal campaign kind of right before and after the election was a really important set of messages and a really important theme that showed up on Parler. That part's unmistakable. So how do we know that? Can you talk a little bit about how we can investigate something like that on a platform like this? Yeah. So I think, you know, so I'll, I'll speak a little bit to the text analysis that, that 
that we had done where one of the biggest themes that came up referenced the hashtag stop the steal, but it's more than just, uh, then it's more than just talking about that hashtag, right? There were in the kind of text analysis that we did, some of the themes that emerged uh, from our analysis was this idea of election fraud, stealing the election, emphasis on auditing and kind of bringing justice to the electoral to, or to the electoral process. This idea of Biden being an illegitimate president. All of these were kind of related, but distinct themes that popped up out of these parlor posts. All of which seemed to indicate that the idea of a false or fraudulent election was a major theme in some of the most influential parlor posters. And we see that both before the election and then becoming even stronger after the election, correct? Yeah, Stop the Steal, if I'm not mistaken, it was something that launched even before the election, like as an anticipatory strike. Yeah, so we have this idea of election fraud in various forms that kind of softens the ground pre-election so yep. that we've planted this idea in the minds of users, not just on Parler, but beyond this idea that there might be election fraud, yep. that the there might be problems. If the election doesn't go as Trump has said it's going to go, then there's massive amounts of fraud. People should be prepared. They should watch for fraud. Right. right? If you remember, during the 2020 election, there were these concerns that supporters of Trump, extreme supporters of Trump, right, more extremist folks, were going to go to the polls, we're going to be kind of there to observe, watch, harass, mm-hmm. right, to make sure that things were going okay. And and we saw that, right? And even in, in our county, Maricopa County in Phoenix, Arizona, we saw folks camp out outside of the elections office here, yep. the Board of Elections, and kind of take pictures and make claims as right. ballots were coming in and out of the right. elections office. about those Biden electors, right? Yep. yep. And they're like, oh, three in the morning, there are ballots, there must be something weird going on, right? Right. right. So, a lot of folks who didn't understand the process of counting ballots were making claims about what was happening. And that was that was fed by the softening of the ground before the election. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to point out that the themes that we're talking about here on Parler can also be found on other platforms. These are not distinct to Parler. But as, as you'll see, the problem is, is that they're the only things on Parler. And, and I think, you know... Th- as an aggregate, you get you get a very interesting environment because of that. So that's one theme, right? Is this idea that the election was fraudulent? What's another theme that surfaced in some of these parlor posts as we observe some of the activity, you know, between November and January? So this is when the when was your we the people was that that wasn't during that time frame, was it? Oh yeah, yeah, the people. Okay. Well, so another theme if we look at. The influencers, the data that Dave Troy collected, one of members of our group, we see language around like we, the people, for the people, as well as the emojis, uh, what, beer, bacon, and the American flag? One of them, one really, po- I think I might have mentioned this before, but a really popular three emoji combination was beer, bacon, and the American flag. But yeah, I, the, the, idea, the idea that the people need to speak. So why, why does that pop up in your head? Yeah, so I I think it so pe- people is like one of the most used nouns in in that entire influencer data set, right? That subset of the most influential folks on and a lot of sentences are something like the people are demanding justice, right? Or the people need to stand up and fight back. Or people do not realize what is happening underneath their noses, right? So that the the use of the term people or the people 
to me, is symptomatic of a very coarse-grained political analysis. And when you actually look at the use of the word the people in context and basically run it through a computer program to understand the other words that tend to show up with the word people, all of them are about either mobilizing people to action to resist some kind of nefarious political plot or characterizing people as permanently duped by a political establishment that is corrupt. So is this different than the way folks on the left might use people as a term? I, I haven't done a, a quantitative analysis to compare left and right, or you know, but I, I should say that it is a characterization of very partisan speech to be able to make gross generalizations about the other or to be able to characterize yourself as some part of revolution, right? And those are your two options, right? Is that people are either rubes and they're being duped or people are are part of this important moment in history and they're fighting back, right? People, right? When you say we the people in the United States, that has an important historical resident, resonance and you're actually invoking that moment in history, right? Like you're saying, no, we are, we are declaring a certain kind of independence, right? To be able to invoke that term, I think is, is pretty remarkable. So, so for counting up our themes here, right? We have a fraudulent election and then we have this, this use of the idea of the people as a way to describe the political terrain as kind of broken or corrupt. So another theme that we found is that users on Parler talk about other mainstream platforms. Michael, how do they characterize those other platforms? Yeah, so this is more of what we were talking about earlier about Parler being a special place where you're free and these other tech platforms being repressive, big tech, anti-conservative, kind of soulless corporations that are against freedom. So this is reinforcing the initial reason why many sort of conservative politicians or very conservative like Fox, OAN type media folks move to the platform, we're reinforcing some of that language that they use to move yeah, to, pop, to I, Parler. I, I think so. I think what we're looking at is just this idea that Parler is a special place compared to some of these other platforms. And a lot of testimonials of people saying, I got kicked off this one place, now I'm on Parler. And it's actually not uncommon to, in any kind of controversy, you know, surrounding the 2020 election, to have people say something like, I, I know I'm going to get banned by Twitter by saying this, so follow me to Parler here and then link their Parler account. There seems some irony in the use of the, like, this is a safe space because there's lots of mocking among many of these users as others wanting safe spaces, but they all move to Parler, which is a safe space for them to talk about some of the conspiracy theories and misinformation that they believe in. No comment. <laughs> they might delete that. It, it, no, no. I, no, it, it, it is that, that people really do feel like they're, they have been on a journey and that Parler is part of that journey, that them arriving at Parler is, is part of some kind of journey through the platforms. And that indicates that they are the ones who are aggrieved. And I think this is an important thing, right? And your point about safe space is important, that all the deck is stacked against people, right? We, we did find that people were talking about, you know, getting deplatformed by other places and ending up in parlor and that big tech is stacking the deck against them. That is an important, let, let's start summing some of these ideas up. If if big tech is stacking the deck against you, and if the people need to either rise up or are being duped by a corrupt government, and the election has been stolen by a usurper, right? Biden gets mentioned all the time on Parler. In that context, 
We're starting to paint a pretty interesting picture here about the state of affairs. So Parler is a place to get red-pilled, right? Huh? I mean, when you combine that with some of the other things that we that we see there, right? Themes about COVID-19 being a conspiracy or a hoax, or how Black Lives Matter and Antifa are a threat to democracy. Add all of that up, that we have BLM and Antifa creating this threat to the civil order, that they're coming to replace uh, a way of life, show up with this virus as a hoax or is meant to control people and a government who is interested in stealing the election, people who need to wake up. And then on top of all of that, big tech keeping you from, from speaking truth. And as we mentioned before, those kinds of themes can be found on Facebook groups, in Twitter, on other kinds of forums. But, but on Parler, that characterizes a huge majority of the posts. What it like taken all together, what do we have? We have this safe space to talk about these ideas, conspiracy theories, misinformation without any sort of counter. Yeah, I think I think there's no one to talk anyone down from the idea that we are now living in a historic emergency. So in essence, this is a, basically like a train going down a hill without any brakes. And I think when we look at some of the broader themes of the parlor influencer data set and start to look at the link sharing behavior of the kind of whole sample of parlor or close to whole sample of parlor, we start to see these stories lining up. Sean, say a little bit about what you saw in the link sharing behaviors. So first, let's look at the influencer data. So the influencer data are these uh, 100 plus folks that are in Trump's orbit, as well as some prominent organizations like the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, the Michael Flynn's, the Rudy Giuliani's, Nunez, those kinds of folks, right? So if we look, we do see some shift. We see in the beginning, sort of summer, fall, 2020, we see them sharing links to some mainstream news sources, but primarily Fox, other places, but the usual suspects that you would expect. Mm -hmm. But then we see a shift, the election and beyond, we see a shift to more conspiracy theory sites. So the Gateway Pundit, we see links to David Icke, we see Rumble. So Rumble is a sort of alt-tech YouTube platform. So this is where we're going to find like copies of Plandemic after they've been removed from YouTube. For instance. For instance, as one potential example. And then, you know, after uh, the election, right, we still see some Fox News, some Breitbart, but those start to sort of decrease in exchange for websites that really peddle in blatant misinformation and blatant conspiracy theory. And this is interesting because after the election, one of the things that we observed is people starting to bail on Fox News, right? People explicitly coming out on Twitter saying, that's it for me. Fox News calling the election in, it, on the day that it did, in the way that it did, I'm done with Fox. I'm moving to OAN. I'm moving to getting my news from other sources. I'm out. I mean, and specifically, that was Fox News was the first news organization to call Arizona yep. for Biden, yep. which angered is probably an understatement, yeah. folks. 
So, so let's talk a little bit more about that shift. So we had dealing, there's one kind of link sharing behavior that mentions more mainstream information sources, and then that shifts to link sharing behavior. What kind of link sharing do you see, like, for instance, Epic Times starts to show up in, and the Gateway Pundit starts to show up. What are those sites? Why is it remarkable that they start showing up as things that people are sharing around? Well, we've talked about the Epic Times before because the Epic Times was at the center of sharing misinformation about Paw Patrol and being Paw Patrol being canceled. Right. So Epic Times played this role of, and the Western Journal was another sort of news site. You can't see my air quotes right now, but like a news site. We can feel them. Yeah. But you can make you hear the intonation of my voice. But these are sites that basically peddle in all right misinformation. Highly partisan. And partisan is an understatement. So if you look at uh, many of the indexes of partisan news sites and such, you'll see these uh, websites are basically off the scale in their part level of partisanship. Mm. So if we if we look at the whole picture, then that we've got a bunch of data about Parler, and that really we only scratched the surface. In in you know we've looked a lot at this. At this influencer sample, we've looked at some posts of the broader sample or some some bits of the broader sample as well. All of it is starting to resolve a little bit in this picture where not only do we have this crisis that, that people are kind of talking about and living in, but where the information is coming from or what kind of information people are sharing, that's different too. Yes, and I think it's important to consider what content we're linking to. So we can think of a link extends a post, right? So we can think of a post on Parler, a post on Twitter, Facebook, contains the text of the post, any images that someone has embedded in that post, but then it sort of also then sucks in whatever you're linking to. So that becomes a bigger part of, of that post. So we can think of these as information resources. These are pointers to external resources that they're bringing into the conversation. And I should also add that we see David Icke is in this and he's kind of an interesting guy in the sense that he popularized the idea that a reptilian uh, humanoid race rules the world. Hmm. So these are not mainstream science, mainstream news. When we talk about links to COVID misinformation, these are not, you know, we're not linking to the CDC. We're not linking to the World Health Organization. We're linking to folks that are outside of, the fringe might be nice, but even farther than the fringe yeah. within the journalism community as well as within the science community. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, said another way, right? There's These are all indications that the platform gets more and more extreme as time passes. So we've talked about this as sort of a greenhouse in a way, using that analogy for what Parler is, where we bring in some of these ideas and then Parler is a place where these ideas are nurtured and fed, these conspiracy theories, this misinformation, they're nurtured and fed without any opposition from the outside environment. Yeah. And I think, again, that opposition is is important. All of the different themes and even linking to these different domains can be found on other platforms. But when you see what we're observing in Parler, which is linking to these platforms in an uncontested way that it really starts to look like a monoculture and there's not a lot of dialogue or contestation going on here. Nor are you going to be sort of 
serendipitously or accidentally exposed to conflicting ideas. So even if you're kind of floating around on Twitter or floating around on Facebook, a post that's contrary to your ideas, you're probably going to experience that somewhere and that's going to pop into your feed, maybe quite often. But we're not going to see that within Parler because of how Parler is kind of walled off. And these alternative voices that might not agree with you, they're not there. Yeah. And I mean, you think about what on a social media platform, what are some of the safeguards against something becoming a, a kind of positive feedback loop for extremism? One of them is content model. And another one is having some kind of peer check on, on thinking or behavior, right? Or put it other way, contest or conversation, right? If we want to believe that such a thing is even possible on social media anymore, right? But if you're in, in a place where you're actually self-selecting, to be there because you're thinking a particular way or because you feel like you don't want to participate in a certain kind of conversation and only want to participate in another and there's no content moderation then those are that's blowing air into a fire well maybe pouring gasoline or maybe an entire semi full of gasoline yeah. into the fire but i think content moderation is an important concept here both the lack of content moderation in Parler, but also how content moderation on other platforms drove folks to Parler. Mm. So we can think of content moderation is these actions that platforms take to regulate content that's happening. That could be users report the content to the platform. Platform has employees that might look over that content or contractors that might look and review those content, that content and how that connects to their guidelines. Or they might have algorithms that might automatically flag content as being problematic. So one, platform uh, Parler... So one, Parler was known as a platform with little to no content moderation. There was some content moderation that happened, but as some of the folks at NYU have published on, it's you know it was really not active at all. It was just blatant, horrific content that was moderated. That was it. Versus other platforms, they're doing some activity to deal with mis- and disinformation, problematic content, whether that's effective or not. Of course, we've done some episodes on that, but in Parler, that wasn't happening, but then other users felt that they were moderated because they were peddling these conspiracy theories or misinformation about COVID or misinformation about the election. So then whenever their content was removed because it was untrue, then they leave the platform like Twitter or Facebook, and then they come to Parler. Yeah. And I think Parler is such an interesting case because again, you, you know, you use the language of a greenhouse. We're, we're not talking about some kind of forum uh, like a dot win forum that is more on, on a kind of an obscure corner of the internet. So what is, what is, what is dot win? What do you mean by that? Uh, a dot win forum is a kind of collection of, of different kind of conservative partisan sites like the Donald dot win or the new Patriot dot websites where you could kind of reliably find, you know, so this used to be, I think the uh, folks who participated in, in, in Reddit, uh, threads or Reddit communities dedicated to the Donald, right? Or other kinds of like more conservative themes ended up moving to these dot win sites. Just long story short. These are, again, like, I don't think that these are household names. And I'm not trying to say that Parler is a household name necessarily, but the people, many people who post on Parler and engage on Parler are household names. And so when household name political figures use Parler to raise money or to garner political support, or to post some of their ideas, or to rally people around their cause, all of a sudden we have this concoction of mainstream political figures engaging with incredibly partisan 
inflammatory, and almost apocalyptic thinking in the community on Parler. So what are we talking about? Like these are the Devin Nunez's, the Paul Gosar's, the Andy Biggs, the Rudy Giuliani's. So what we get with Parler then is, you know, an interesting combination where you have a lot of ideas or dynamics of more obscure corners of the internet in terms of extremism or incubating uh, really inflammatory and unopposed partisan ideas and, and conspiracies. But they're liaising with mainstream political figures. People like the son of the president of the United States had accounts on Parler. State representatives and senators had accounts on Parler. Donald Trump's campaign did fundraising on Parler. So even in our backyard, right, like Paul Gosar, Andy Biggs had very popular and active Parler accounts that received engagements in the hundreds of thousands per day. Yep. So you start to understand that it's not just that there's these crazy ideas going on on Parler or however you want to characterize it, but that liaising with a community that is convinced or that many are convinced that an entire epic in history is coming to a close, right? That you're living at this kind of apocalyptic fulcrum in time, that that entire community is actually beneficial to public political figures. And by having these famous, is that fair to say, political figures, mm-hmm. uh, infamous political figures, move to these platforms, they legitimize these platforms. Yes. Because this is a space that my elected representative communicates with me in, so therefore this must be a valid place to have conversations about this, and they're agreeing with me. I mean, one of the, the points I think we really can't drive home hard enough is that the the types of discussions, the language that was used the sort of more extremist language, the incitement is different in Parler than what we see in Twitter. So we did an analysis of the Twitter accounts for those 147 members of Congress that objected to certifying the 2020 election. And if we look at their Twitter accounts, we found kind of everyday politics, right? Yeah. Just like talking about taxes, talking about policy, talking about you know, members of the military. Extending congratulations, extending condolences, a basic couple, stuff. A couple comments about January 6th, but not much. Right. But then that language does not then get mirrored in Parler. In Parler, we're talking about the election is fraudulent, the, you know, in even congratulations about January 6th, other kinds of things. That, so much more extreme language happened in Parler. And I think a lot of members of the public who weren't on Parler kind of think they're the same thing, but they're, they're really different. Yeah, and I think this is the, you know, it's a, an important lesson to learn from Parler, right? Is it is it's playing an important kind of glue role in that you, you can't just say, oh, look at what all those crazy people on Parler are saying. They're just over there off in their own world. They're not. Parler is a kind of connective tissue between some of that thinking, that positive feedback loop, that apocalyptic worldview, that all this bad stuff is happening and there's no way out and that the most important thing to do is to fight back, those ideas get to rub shoulders with public political figures and even receive validation. So we can see partly around the middle, maybe like subreddit, like our conspiracy, other places that folks go in there like, whoa, this is um, a little much. Or, or you know, name whatever post you want from Gab or Rumble. Right. And so Parler stands in the middle where members of Congress, famous political figures, other folks on the right meet 
those ideas and you know rub shoulders, engage with them. Yes, and that's why it's important to think about uh, Parler as having an important role in the January sixth attack on the Capitol because you see some of the most some important components of what it's going to take to mobilize people to behave in that way. You see them on Parler. Right. If we, if we don't have this kind of thinking and behavior sanctioned by public political figures, right, it, it doesn't have the same likelihood of bubbling up in the way that it did. So this greases the movement of some of these ideas on the extreme fringe to moving closer and closer to legitimacy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this goes back to this idea, right? Like, I hope that in this conversation, we've been able to help characterize some of the, the high level things that got talked about a lot on Parler. Right. But but what we don't want to do by talking about them and by pointing out how partisan and extreme they are, both in the content that got shared and the things that got talked about, is that it's some kind of faraway place where only the most politically extreme people think and communicate, that it plays a really interesting role of connecting that kind of thinking to more public political figures and that we can't just roundly dismiss it as just crazy stuff. So on one level we can't dismiss it, but on another level, does this represent all Republicans? No. I mean, I think we want to avoid, we want to avoid that. Right. And, or, you know, as we, as we talk about, we don't want any social media sample of any kind to, to be like, you know, some kind of X-ray into the way that all people are thinking. Right. So this represents something substantial, but this is not representative of the general population. Yeah. We yeah. know, we know the activities that were taking place on Parler. We know, especially the content that people were posting on Parler, that users of Parler were posting and engaging with. But that is an important component, but that isn't every Republican, every Democrat, every person in the U.S. or internationally, right? Right. But I mean, it's, it's important that it's not no one either, you know, that there is, there is an important mass of, of people who are kind of resonating and trafficking these ideas and that, you know, again, you add up all of this stuff together and it's no surprise that one of the outcomes recommended was to recommended over and over again on the platform is to quote, stand up and fight because the world that is created in parlor, the worldview of parlor is that the American way of life is ending because of the virus, because of the fake election, because of Antifa, because, 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 because of big tech, right? All of these things are ending American life as we know it. And that is a huge emergency and something's got to give. Someone has to stand up and fight back. And that language has specific meaning to many of the groups that are on Parler, like Oath Keepers, Three Presenters, right? That that language might mean something different to the general public, right? Like we just talked about with the For the People and other things, that might mean one thing in our general consciousness. But to these groups especially that we're on parlor, that is incitement language, right? Oh yeah. And you know, not for nothing. It's a call to action. Yeah. And it, it's, I think it's important to, to also bring up, right? This is something that we didn't quite get to when we were talking about some of the content on parlor, but the three percenters and the proud boys recruit like crazy on parlor. And those are both white supremacist organizations that are explicitly, implicitly, totally militant. All right. They're white supremacists. They're anti-immigrant nativist organizations yep. that, Many of them are armed and members of militias. If we see the Oath Keepers and their interactions with BLM, mm-hmm. the Black Black Lives Matter, we see that you know they bring guns to the protests, right? So those are the audiences that these politicians 
that legitimize the platform we're talking to, and they know that that's who's on this platform. So that's been our summary of of the Middle Ages of Parler. It's not really a it's not really a happy conversation, but I think it points to uh, like like an important zone of activity that has been very influential over the last year. Yes, and I think you know the report that we're dis- you know discussing that this is a component of right. This is a larger report that contextualizes a lot of this, but we're focusing on a lot of the data analysis that we did and what we can learn and what we can't learn from Parler as a platform, because we don't want to say that it's everything, but we also can't dismiss it. It's it's this important piece in like a workflow if we kind of think about it. This set of chain that kind of chains everything together, right? As you said. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think the the last thing, kind of my last thought on this is it's important to think about how like unique Parler Parler was during this period of time. You know, what Parler will be as a platform is probably going to be different than what it is now. And it's important for us, I think, to pay attention to different platforms, if they're more mainstream or not, but just all platforms go through transformations, right? And they they carry different kinds of water at different points in time. And so I think it's important to think about something like Parler as something that's always going to, and that's going to play different roles all the time. And I think it's important to think about Twitter or Facebook as things that are going to evolve as well. And so to just pay attention to not what platform it is, but also kind of where we're at and what what some of the kind of policies and behaviors of this platform are kind of doing at a, at a given time. I think all these things are worth paying attention to if we're studying misinformation and doing misinformation research is that these are dynamic characters, these platforms, they change over time. Right, because if we look at today, there are other platforms that have taken Parler's place and their norms change the conversation a bit too. So we have different textures now and we also have a different sort of context post-January 6th than we did pre-January 6th. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end. So thank you for joining us on our first episode of our third season. Be thoughtful and be well.